Hello and welcome to today's podcast. My name is Amber and the website is sacredspacehealing.org. That's sacredspacehealing.org. For those of you that are new to this channel, I'm a Reiki master teacher and a shamanic practitioner running my own healing practice since 2007. The work is focused on core wound healing, life purpose work, sacred union sessions and one-to-one coaching and healing. And these podcasts are here to assist you on your journey to self-knowing, empowerment, spirituality and better well-being. The website again is sacredspacehealing.org. So if you head over to the website, there'll be lots more information there, links to other podcasts, links to free meditations, blog posts, as well as a donations page if you would like to say thank you for these podcasts and put something back, then all donations are very gratefully received and go back into creating more free content. I'm not affiliated to any organisation. I don't have a big marketing and PR group behind me uh, through choice. I keep it real as if we were having a conversation in the room. And so every time you make a donation, every time you send a message of support, you're supporting an individual, me. And that is very gratefully received. So thank you. So in today's podcast, I'd like to shine a light on what might be a controversial subject, uh, but I think it's important that we shine a light on it, even more so if it is deemed controversial which is this notion of women enabling male abuse of other women. So it's a huge topic, can't be covered in one podcast, but I just want to shine a light on the female enablers who allow other women, in fact, sometimes encourage the abuse of other women in... uh, in, in a non-domestic uh, environment. Because I think when it happens in a domestic environment, there are often other reasons. Uh, partners and loyalties and uh, fear and, and uh, things that are more complex and that can be looked at in another podcast. But this is about women who in the workplace, predominantly, socially or creatively, allow the abuse, humiliation and bullying of another woman and stand back and watch it happen and in fact can enable it. So it's this really toxic sense of sisterhood, if you like. And also how that's tipping into a toxicity when it comes to the bullying of of men. So there's a few things that inspired this podcast. I've been hearing a lot from women with everything that's been happening and revelations that are coming out within different industries of abuse and harassment of women, and that's been happening for a number of years. I, I've been hearing a lot from women about situations where they've been bullied and harassed in work environments by men of power, and that when they spoke up or said something, they were then uh, blacklisted, they were then bullied, they were then pushed out of the organization. Some haven't worked since, some are still picking up the fragments of their life, some felt totally broken by the experience and destroyed. And one of the overriding things that the majority of women say is that they spoke to other women. And it was the other women that they spoke to that betrayed them. So rather than siding, rather than coming together in this ideal of sisterhood against the aggressor, they decided to sort of play the game, in inverted commas, to say to the woman, oh, well done, you're so brave to speak up, uh, to get information from her and then to relay it back to the bully and the perpetrator in order to be in their good books so that they're saved, so that their job is safe, so their promotion is safe, so their uh, bonus happens. 
so they can gain favour, basically. It's very Machiavellian. And how destructive this is for the woman who was at the receiving end not only of bullying, harassment from the male perpetrator, but was also seeking help, seeking her sisters to stand by her, as in any community, any healthy community would happen. And that didn't happen. And then what happens with the fallout is that, obviously, the perpetrator is... uh, possibly named and shamed, or the perpetrator is named at least. But what people forget, and I think it's important that we start shining a light on this, is the women who enabled that to happen. Every woman who turned away and didn't say anything, every woman who knew it was happening and didn't offer support silently or overtly, every woman who betrayed the woman who was being abused in some way, every woman who was a double agent and looked out for herself rather than thinking about what was happening to her sister that could happen to her tomorrow. These are the women that have allowed this abuse to continue for as long as it has continued in our history. I temper that with people sometimes behave like this through fear. So that's why I'm not talking about a domestic situation and that sometimes, you know, women, mothers know Sisters know that there's abuse going on and they can't do anything because they're terrified they'll lose their home, they'll lose their family, they'll lose their kids. But I think in a work environment, it's slightly different because there are more things in place, HR, uh, you know, laws and regulations, employment law that protect and that all it really takes is a unified force to stand up against the bully and it will stop. It takes a unified force to say to the harasser, Stop, and it will stop. Now, what a lot of women have said on social media and in the press is that, you know, not all men, but if you're a man and you stand by and you watch a woman being sexually harassed or abused or bullied in some way and you do nothing, then you're just as culpable, and I completely agree with that. But can we also shine a light on the women who watch this happen and don't speak up? And maybe they are terrified and maybe they do think they'll lose their jobs and... uh, Maybe they're doing it out of envy. Maybe they're doing it because they want that woman to suffer. Who knows? The point is that their silence is damning and it has to stop. So if you've been in a work situation or a creative environment or social situation and you've seen another woman being harassed or bullied, it is your duty. It is your obligation. It is the morally right thing to do, to defend and stand up for her in some way whether you offer her a shoulder to cry on privately or you say something in that moment. We have lost that sense of unity with each other as women. A few weeks ago, a couple of months ago actually, I was walking through town and a woman with a... uh, She had a kid, I think the kid was in a buggy. She just got out of a car. She'd been shouting. Some guy and her, they'd been shouting in a car together. She then gets out of the car And she's screaming at him and saying, you're just going to leave me here now. How am I meant to get home? And it's quite a heated thing. And the kid is crying. And the guy, I think, in the car goes to drive off. Or she's taking her stuff out of the back seat. I can't quite remember. And I always kind of double check and think, oh, don't go waiting in Amber. But I said to her, are you okay? Is everything all right? Are you okay? Do you need help? And her first response to me was almost to tell me to fuck off. Excuse my language. But she just looked at me and was like really aggressive 
And that wasn't necessarily that she was taking the energy of the fight and projecting it on me. It was that she didn't trust me. She didn't trust why I was wading in. Another woman was wading in. She, it was like, it was like inbuilt in her. And I felt like an idiot. I walked away and was like, God, I shouldn't have said anything. But, you know, part of my personality and my makeup is that if I see someone in distress, I want to make sure that they're okay. But I think we've gotten to a place, you know, she was an example of how, as women, I don't think we trust women anymore. Because so many women have betrayed other women. Isn't that the worst betrayal? When it's the woman who dishes up the sacrifice to the man. When it's the woman who sources the fresh meat for the man. When it's the woman who betrays another woman's secrets, another woman's fears, another woman's confidence in order to get ahead. It's one of the most toxic things we can do as women to each other and to ourselves. It's a form of self-hatred and self-loathing. It's deeply toxic, deeply disturbing, and deeply damaging to the woman on the receiving end. Have we all done it? I don't know. Have I ever done it? No, I haven't. If I see a woman that is being bullied or harassed in some way, I am not going to side with the harasser. That ain't ever going to happen. Whether I put my hand up, and and make some noise about it, or I offer her a shoulder to cry on silently, is my choice. And so what I'm saying is that we don't necessarily have to put ourselves in danger to assist another, but we do need to, to, we do need to extend that hand and to say, are you okay? And I'm here for you, you know, and that's all it takes. Now, why are women behaving like this, I think is the subject of a whole other podcast and a lot of deep healing that the feminine needs to do around her own wounds around womanhood and sisterhood and motherhood and the maternal wound, as well as her great desire to be ingratiated by the masculine, that somehow if she can get the bully, the harasser, the conqueror to to save her, to want her over the other woman that she's won. And all of these are patriarchal, toxic ways of thinking that have been programmed into us. It's not the truth of who we are. The truth of who we are is that we know if someone's being harassed or abused or hurt in some way, that our moral duty is to help them. We know that. But our programming tells us all these other things that conflict with that and make us behave in ways that are so inauthentic and so unloving and so unaligned. But I think it's time that we start to call that out. You know, I think when we see that this is happening in organisations, in situations, in social situations, we need to start saying, what are the other women doing? I remember being in a work situation and they brought in, uh, this was the whole sort of post Me Too thing, and they brought in uh, mental health officers, whatever they call them. I think they call them mental aid, mental health first aiders. And um, one of them was this young girl, and she was there to make sure there was no sexual harassment happening uh, on the floor. And she was very sweet and very approachable, or so it seemed. And then I watched her one day as she made her way around a male-dominated office, uh, very flirtatious, at one point lifting up her top and showing her, her belly to, to one of the guys, and at another point showing her bra to one of the guys, um, making very kind of lewd jokes and then saying, oh, oh, I think that might be quite offensive. I think I might have to report you, and then making a joke out of everything. Now, was she doing that to fit in? Was she doing that to get the gossip? Or was she doing that because she really didn't give a shit about any of it, and she just wanted to be one of the boys? Who knows? 
I don't necessarily think it's empowering for a woman to become one of the boys. And I think this is a type of programming and defense mechanism that women have had to take on to survive, but we don't need it anymore. I know that when I was younger, much younger, and in my teens and my early 20s, and working in lots of different environments, you know, temping and trying to make money when I was at uni, and working in a lot of very uh, misogynistic environments, you know, think about what it was like all those years ago, um, where, you know, it felt like you were on a battlefield the whole time. Uh, and there, were, there wasn't all that much in place to keep you safe. That the way to deflect harassment, or the way to deal with it, was to give as good as you get you know, was to be one of the lads, one of the boys. If, if a guy was crude and said something lewd and disgusting to you, you would say the same back to him in order to say to him, listen, I can match you in that space. But the thing that happens with that is, you, it doesn't stop the abuse. It just carries on and on and on and it ends up being very exhausting. For the woman who isn't one of the boys, she's a woman who's who's being sexualized or bullied or harassed in some way. I found it incredibly exhausting to have to be crude, to have to, you know, give as good as I get in order to survive in these environments. And it shouldn't have to happen. But I found that that was a coping mechanism that a lot of women had. And that, um, you know, women who had that as a coping me mechanism weren't prepared to stand up for their sisters. They would hang them out to dry because they didn't want to have to go through what that sister was going through. Um, fear. I mean, it's, if you take it to its nth degree, it's like a woman watching another woman being raped by a group of men or a strong man. And she could stop it. She could scream. She could call the police. She could pull him off her. But she's not going to do that because she doesn't want to get hurt. She doesn't want to get raped. So she stands by and does what? She stands by and watches it, or she walks away, or um, she urges him on, hoping that he'll get it out of his system. I mean, it really is that toxic. And we have to stop this now. As women, we have to stop this. We have to support each other. We have to find true sisterhood. We have to end this ridiculous competition that we have with other women that is, again, programming that has been put in us from the day we were born in order to keep us divided. Every woman is beautiful. Every woman is worthy. Every woman has something to offer the world. Every woman is worthy of love and respect um, and, and success. Every woman has her own talents and her own gift to bring to this world, her own song, her own dance, her own beauty. Comparing ourselves and competing, which women do in the most toxic, horrific way, is, is, is nothing that, to keep emulating, is nothing to keep um, allowing to live out in our world and in our society. It's time to stamp it out. It's time to eradicate it. It's time to find a new way to connect with each other as women that feels equal, that feels whole, that feels truthful, that feels uh, that it has integrity. And I think we start with that by acknowledging that if it's happened to the woman in front of us, you know, if it's happening to the woman in front of us right now, it could happen to us. And therefore we have a moral duty to speak up. We have a moral duty to say something. Many, many, many years ago, decades ago, um, I remember being on a tube train 
and it was not that late at night really but the, the carriage was quite empty and a rather shady looking character came and sat quite near to me in this empty carriage and I was starting to feel really anxious because he kept staring at me he, it something didn't feel right the train was emptying out more and more and I felt quite sort of frozen and trapped um, I was quite young at the time I think I was a teenager and um, you know I would handle it all very differently now Anyway, I was feeling more and more anxious. I wanted to get up. I thought if I got up, would he grab me? Would something happen? It wasn't feeling good. And from the other end of the carriage, this couple came and joined and sat and, and literally kind of sat opposite him. Well, he'd, be, he'd been sat a few seats down from me. And then this couple came, this man and this woman came, and they sat opposite him. And the man just stared at him, like literally stared him down. And the next stop, the guy got up and left. And... I think a dodgy situation there was averted. And I said to the couple, thank you so much. And the man said, yes, we saw him. He'd been doing it to other women. You came into the carriage. We saw that he was doing it to you. And I said straight away to my girlfriend, I need to go over and make sure that she's okay. And I said, thank you so much. I'm so grateful. And the woman said to me, what did you do to cause that? Why was he doing that to you? And I said to her, well, I didn't do anything. You saw, I came on the train and I sat down. That's what I did. And her attitude was that somehow I had caused this situation. Now, obviously, some of that is her own wounding. But what else is going on there? You know, in that moment when she said that, is she thinking, don't flirt with my husband? In that moment when she said that, is she thinking... What is she thinking? Is she thinking that she needs to be more superior to this woman, that she's not a victim? What's getting triggered in her? And I think these are the questions we need to ask. You know, why is it that these women that stand by and do nothing when they watch other women in pain and terror, being harassed and bullied, why is it that these women do nothing? Because the key in all of that is healing this in us. We'll all have an aspect of it. We'll all be holding an aspect of it, and it's our duty to heal that in us. What is that? I know that I still have a lot of things to heal on my journey, but I know that if I watch a woman being harassed or bullied in some way, I'm not going to say, what did you do to cause that? And I'm not going to not assist her in some way. So I can't relate to that wounding. But is there a wounding? Is there, is a question that I ask, a wounding that means that women behave in this way towards other women? Regardless of that, we've got to step up and start supporting each other and speaking out much more than is, is and has been happening. Because really, what we need to combat, if it's not wounding, is programming. And the programming was placed in us from a very young age to keep us divided and weak and vulnerable. But if you can see the programming, it has no, it has, uh, no bearing over you. And we can even see the programming in things like fairy tales. You know, there's always the wicked stepmother and the wicked stepsisters. They don't come together as a community. She's saved by some prince. She ain't saved by a woman. Here you've got the nice sort of fairy godmother in the background, the benevolent older woman who's no longer sexually viable. But this is all programming. So I'm shining a light on this. See what it triggers in you. See what it triggers in your work environment. And know that it is our moral duty that when we see another in pain, abused in some way, 
It is our moral duty to do something. How we do do it is our choice. And, and it's never that we do it in a way that harms us or another, but it is our moral duty to do something. The website is sacredspacehealing.org. That's sacredspacehealing.org. Wherever you are on your journey, I wish you much joy, love, peace and abundance. Until the next time.